It's the fall of 2019. I'm sitting in a classroom with 23 seventh graders. Now, this group is really hyped up at the time because they had just completed a project that they called the Anti-Talent Show. And this is a challenge that we had come up with and shared with our followers of, okay, you have two weeks to learn something new, show us the before and after. And this school kind of put an extra twist to it. They said, okay, everyone's going to pick something that we're not good at. We're going to practice two weeks and then actually hold the anti-talent show and the teachers are going to participate. So we're all kind of sitting in a circle and we're going around and the students are sharing the things that they learned. Like one learned to juggle, one learned to recite poetry, a few did like painting. And I was feeling all excited and good about like, wow, what a cool project. These kids seem to really like it. They all got better at a new skill. But then this one little girl raises her hand and she goes, the best part of the anti-talent show for me is that I got to see my teacher struggle And that helped me understand it's okay for me to struggle too. Whoa. Like instant chills for me. And at the time I was like, oh, like I hadn't thought of that angle. And the more I reflect on what she said, like the more I see the power in it, it's like the actions and behaviors that we put on display really affect the actions and behaviors of the people around us. What a brilliant idea the school had for the teachers to participate with the teachers in the trenches, struggling, that actually improved the learning environment for the students. Today, we're going to look at the science behind why that happens, and then we're going to look at some examples of how we can apply that to make a better learning environment. Welcome to the Learner Lab Podcast. I'm Trevor Reagan. I'm Alex Belser. Each week, we're going to explore a topic to help us become better learners. If you're interested in more, you could check out thelearnerlab.com for videos, articles, and more pods. Let's go. That story about the anti-talent show that we just talked about really exemplifies how the actions of others can influence our own actions. And there was a group of researchers that wanted to study exactly that. So there was a group of children and then they had an adult that was showing the children how to open this box to get a toy on the inside. So there's a box that has a trap door on the top and then there's a toy on the inside. Mm -hmm. And the adults would take a stick and then wipe it on the top of the box three times in a circular motion. So that's not related to opening the box at all but they would do it and then they would stick their hand through the trap door and grab the toy. Then they would give the box to the children and they would also take the stick, swipe it three times and then put their hand through it. So they would imitate what they saw the adult do. Yeah, they would do the exact same thing, even though that swiping of the stick at the top was irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Now, the really interesting thing here is that when researchers did the same test with chimpanzees, the chimpanzees would completely ignore the three swiping motions. They would just stick their hand right in and grab the toy because they saw that that was the most efficient way to get the reward. Whoa. And you would think, like, obviously humans are smarter, that we would come to that conclusion, but we're not. And I think what it's illustrating is that we're social creatures. We're wired to, like, pick up on these signals and kind of imitate the people around us. Right. Now, there's a study that takes this a little bit further, even. Exact same study with an adult showing children how to open this box. So, They had the children and then they had two adults come in and one adult would show them how to open the box with the irrelevant action, which was swiping three times at the top and then put their hand in to grab the toy. Mm -hmm. Then they would have another adult show them that they could just go straight in and grab the toy. So just go through the trap door. Yeah, the efficient adult. And then what they did is they would send one of the adults out of the room. So sometimes it would be the irrelevant adult who stayed in and then sometimes it would be the efficient adult. 
and the action that the children took would be based on whichever adult was in the room. So whenever the adult that had the irrelevant action of swiping three times was in the room, the children would swipe three times. Whereas if it was the efficient adult who went straight for the trap door was in the room, then the children would go straight for the trap door. So researchers call this over-imitation, and that's because the children are imitating something here, but they're doing it in a way that has no actual causal link. So there's no reason to swipe the stick three times, but we're doing it because we're social creatures and we see the adult doing it, so we're going to do whatever they did. Right. In a way, this is an illustration of like, look, we're sensitive to the actions and behaviors of the people around us. And that's for a reason. It's like you said, like we're wired to fit into groups. We're social creatures. If we think about it, this makes a lot of sense. Like this is how we pass down information. We watch someone do something a specific way. And then we know if we follow those same steps, then that's going to lead to the same action. Right. And I think maybe some people listening are like, what are these guys talking about? Like, why does it matter? Like three swipes on the top of a box. Like, what are you talking about? What we're saying is what and what this research research is really telling us that's relevant for this conversation is the environment is more sensitive than we realize that our actions and behaviors affect those around us more than we realize. And if we know that, we can actually use that to improve the learning environment. In other words, the way that we model can impact the learning environment of others. Oftentimes when we're on a team, in a group, especially as leaders, we feel like our job is sort of to tell people what to do, how to do it. And yes, that's a piece of the equation, but the argument we're going to try to make over the next few minutes is we should also be kind of walking the walk and modeling the actions and behaviors we want to see in our people. Right. Like there's there's a lot of value in saying what should be done, but there's even more value when we actually do it. And, and more than we realize, this is something that's understood and applied in tremendous organizations like some of the best leaders understand and do this now someone who's worked with many of those leaders at the very highest level is our friend cc craft she was a mental training coach for the cleveland indians and actually now works with special forces i am uh, currently a contractor for the military I work for a company called f3ea i have 13 other contractors that work with me and we work for the special warfare center in school so we are helping special forces soldiers, civil affairs, psychological operations soldiers um, all perform at their highest level from a mental component. We're all mental performance coaches. I think role modeling or modeling is actually one of the biggest things you can do to create behavior. So I, I think do as I say, not as I do does not exist at all. People are looking for leaders that they actually believe in when uh, particularly a leader or someone in any um position of power is doing something, it opens the door for that to be an okay behavior and something to experience with. And there's nothing more powerful than watching someone do it. It's not necessarily like modeling the perfect jump shot or modeling that you are better at hitting a 95 mile per hour fastball. It's modeling the type of um, behaviors you want from your athletes. And so it's not giving up when things get rough. It's re-engaging and looking at things in a different way. Uh, when what you're doing isn't working. It's um, having good communication with people if you want good communication back. Um, and I, I just think that that's one of the biggest things if we're going to ask something of somebody else is are we asking it of ourselves and are they watching us ask that of ourselves? Now, there's all sorts of layers to what we can model. 
I think sometimes when we hear this word, we think it's like, oh, as a leader, I have to demo this action. I'm teaching someone to code. I have to demo it for them. I'm teaching someone to serve. I have to demonstrate this for them. And yeah, that's technically modeling. But I think where we get a lot more bang for our buck is actually modeling these deeper foundational learning behaviors. And that's what CC is telling us. Like she's worked with high performers. She's probably not going to go model how to hit a 99 mile an hour fastball, but she can model these actions and behaviors, these deeper, more general actions and behaviors. For instance, it's like the anti-talent show. It's like the benefit for that seventh grade girl wasn't the teacher showing her how to skateboard. In fact, she was learning a different skill than the teacher. The benefit was the teacher modeling the learning process, especially the willingness to struggle. That was the upside there. And honestly, in most situations, this is a truth of leadership. All of our people are going to be working on developing different skills than we are, but they're all going to be developing skills. I think a good example of this... um, the, the, the best learning environment I've ever seen, and I've seen a lot of them, is the USA Women's Volleyball Gym. I know nothing about the sport of volleyball, but anytime I'm observing those practices, I'm just blown away at the learning environment they've created. I had the honor of interviewing Karch Karai a few years ago. Karch has been the head coach for a few years now. He even won an award for best male volleyball player of the 20th century. And the first question I asked him was like, how do you do this? How do you create this environment? And I actually have old footage that Jack is going to bring up of Karch's response to that question. And Jamie and Joe and Tom and David and everybody who work with our athletes are um, really good at modeling being learners. We're here talking to you today because we might learn something there's always stuff to be learned. And so if we model that, I think that helps for sure with the mindset of our athletes. What he says right there matters so much. I think sometimes we can get hyped up on this learning research, on growth mindset and all these principles. Then we go back to our family, back to our team, back to our classroom and tell our people that they need to have a growth mindset. But if we don't have one ourselves, there's that disconnect in a culture that one of the best things we can do to teach principles like this is to walk the walk and put those actions on display. And I think Karch is a fantastic example of this. So when I asked him that question in 2016, I was kind of deer in the headlights, like profound answer, but I didn't really ask any follow-ups. The good news is two days ago, I got to run it back and interview him again. So we have Karch back and we're going to dig deeper into the different ways we can model and how he thinks about this from a leadership standpoint. As of now, the USA women have never won an Olympic gold medal. We've had a lot of success, three silvers, two bronze, but we want to stand at the top at some point. So we have to know and we understand that we're not there yet. There's lots of work to be done. Uh, and so that's a fundamental concept in our gym is that we have to be getting better. We're spending time working. Other teams are spending time working. We have to use our time better to improve ourselves to learn. Another thing is we make, we make public declarations of part of our improvement plan. And so a player or a coach will, we have a spot on the whiteboard reserved for, you know, what am I getting better at today? Mm. And what's nice about writing it out there is that somebody else will know or can know 
and we can stay a little more accountable to each other. Oh, uh, what's Karch working on today? And what's she, what's um, uh, Courtney as a player working on today? Great. Um, I can catch somebody when they're working on that and give them props when I see them get a little better. And if I see them forgetting for 10 or 15 minutes, then I can help gently uh, remind somebody. The thinking behind having the coaches do it is <clears throat> that we have to be getting better at stuff too. As I mentioned, we're not there yet. And it's not only the players, it's the coaches. There are two reasons uh, it's imperative for us to get better. Number one, we aren't there yet. And number two, if we're asking players and our team to get better, then we have to be getting better too, working more in our uh, at the edge of our abilities and mm -hmm. at a point of more discomfort and screwing up sometimes because uh, learning has to involve mistakes. We didn't learn to walk without making mistakes three or 400 times. We certainly aren't going to learn to do stuff better in any other uh, skill in life without screwing it up plenty. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be in it with them and models for them. And so we have to be aware. It's like every action, everything we say, everything we do in a way is sending signals. People are perceiving this and watching this and picking up on those signals. Now, that means that we can model good things. We can model bad things. But or whatever we're doing, things, yeah, like or three things. swipes on the box. <laughs> yeah. But whatever we're doing, we are modeling an action right. towards our people. And so now the goal is like, okay, if everything we're doing is sending signals, what if we were sending more and better signals. I think some great things that we can think about modeling more often, it's like the hunger to grow, the willingness to try new stuff, the willingness to experiment, the willingness to struggle like the teacher did in the anti-talent show, and also just like how we deal with adversity. Once we realize the power of modeling here, it's easy to assume that that means we have to be perfect all the time. Right. But that's not what we're saying, right? Not at all. In fact, sometimes... The truth is we're not going to be perfect and we're going to mess something up. We're going to slip up. Maybe our anger will get the best of us. But that gives us an opportunity to model this owning our mistakes and just saying it out loud like, hey, I messed that up, but I'm going to get better. I'm modeling. So I'm modeling how to deal with the adversity and challenges that I face. I think there's power too in if you've realized you've modeled something other than what you want, there is a moment there to say, hold on, I messed up. That wasn't what I meant to do. That's, you know, we've talked about this and I, I didn't deal with that moment. I didn't handle that well. And I got frustrated and I handled it this way. And that's not how we've talked about doing it as a team because we're not perfect individuals too. So I think if you take your own behavior and your own modeling really seriously, it also gives you the chance to model for those around you how to make a mistake, how to mess up, how to not be perfect, which inevitably in high performance, if you're near an edge, if you're working towards, you know, on the edge of your capability level, that's going to happen. If People, if everybody uh, around me is okay with making some mistakes and uh, working on something that they're uncomfortable doing and struggling through it, then there's this feeling of like, we're all in this together. We're all struggling together. Mm -hmm. And there's also a, um, I guess, a humanity and a realness to it if we can try some stuff as coaches and mess up because we haven't done it a lot before, maybe trying to give a feedback a different way or doing mm -hmm. something else. 
and then talk about it at the end. Hey, I was trying this. Whoa, I was, I was really off there. I really screwed up. Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry about that. But just um, for a coach to be able to be human and make mm-hmm. mistakes is a big deal, I think, for players and coaches, uh, for players and teams, because we're never going to play the perfect game of volleyball. It's really fun to pursue it, but we're human and we make mm-hmm. mistakes. And some of the coaches who come out and post match pre- post game press conferences will say, wow, did I screw up here? I called the wrong play or I made the wrong substitution or I called a timeout at the wrong time. When coaches do that, that's really powerful for their teams because then their teams can feel a little more free to make some errors and also free to own up to it. Just, just saying, yep, that was mine. Um, I'll do better next time is, uh, is a powerful thing to own our mistakes. So there's, I guess, a sense of relief when uh, coaches can be human for their players and, and screw up too and own up to it. So here's, here's kind of where I'm at um, with things that are different than I used to think about modeling, sort of the zigs. First, I thought modeling was only about demoing the actual skill I'm trying to teach. Yeah, that's a piece of it. But a layer underneath that would be, we'll model these foundational skills. Then I thought, well, modeling is showing I'm the leader with no cracks and I'm going to model how perfect I am. Actually, in many situations, it's better to model the cracks and model the vulnerability and model the struggle. Like that's what was happening in the anti-talent show. And I think that is sending more powerful signals than we realize. That's a difficult thing for uh, when I talk with coaches about it too, because the younger somebody is, the more somebody will say, well, Karch, it's easy for you. You've done this volleyball thing for a long time as a player and a, a reasonably long time as a coach, you have this some credibility built up. So it's easy for you to say, I screwed up. I'll do better next time. I was trying this. It didn't work. It's, it's scarier for really young, inexperienced coaches because they feel like they're going to lose their team if they do something along similar lines. But I still think there's something powerful about being in it together and if a coach can say, this is what I was trying, I got it wrong that time, I'll do better next time. Uh, I, in general, I don't think player, uh, coaches are going to lose their teams. Their teams are going to feel this identification with that because uh, they're learning too. If it's a young coach, it's probably a club team or a high school team, something like that, an inexperienced coach. And those players are trying to figure out all the same things. They haven't been doing it that long either. A good example of like modeling these foundational things, um, there was a big New York Times article about Karch where they wrote about how in Karch in one-on-one meetings with his players, at the end of every meeting, will look the player in the eye and ask, how can I be better for you? Now, I think there's a lot wrapped up in that. There's some layers to this as well. I think one layer is he's going to get some useful feedback from the players because he's asking them. But the unexpected layer, if you dig into it, is he's modeling. That if you play for Karch and every time he, he, he meets with you, he's asking, how can I be better for you? How can I be better for you? How can I be better for you? He's now made it safer for you to ask him for feedback someday. 
modeling is a fantastic way to build psychological safety within an environment or even in this case within a relationship. And so the, the hack here, not a hack, I hate using that word, but the way we apply this is what are the actions and behaviors that I want to see in my people? How can I start to put these actions and behaviors on display? Do I want my people to ask for feedback more often? I should be asking for feedback more often. Do I want my people to jungle tiger and learn new skills? I need to find ways to model those actions and behaviors. So it's not rocket science, but it's just remembering that it's easier to tell them what to do, but it's way more effective to put the actions on display. And I think another important point there from that cart story is that it took time, right? Mm-hmm. It was through repeated meetings that he mm-hmm. built that psychological safety. It wasn't like he modeled this once and then it was done. Right. It and took w- lots of effort over time to right. build that. Right. And what I like as well, it wasn't like, hey, I want you... It wasn't like a demand to the players, like, I need you to ask me for feedback. Like, maybe that was a piece of the puzzle, but then he walked that walk over time and built the safety so they did the thing. Not just demanding the action, but creating a safe environment for the action to occur. And so we can use this if we're a member of the group. We can use this if we're a leader, teacher, coach, parent. It doesn't matter. It's like, okay, is there an action I want to see more of? Let's start to display it. Let's start to model it. And that's going to create safety. I think I can remember times as a younger coach, like I was doing these basketball camps and I thought modeling was like playing against these high school kids and just like showing them how good I was and just like beating the crap out of them. It's like, look at I'm modeling how good you could get at basketball. It's like, yes, again, that's modeling, but that's not the modeling we're going for. It's not about the flex of look how good I am. It's not about... I have to be perfect at everything. If you think about the declarations that Karch was talking about, they're writing skills that they're working on. They're not writing, this is my strength and I'm going to show you how good I am at it all the time. If anything, it's like, hey, this is a piece uh, of my skill set that needs work and I'm I'm writing it down and I'm going to put that action on display. Like that's the type of modeling we want to see more of. Right. So when we're trying to model something, a good sort of North Star for us to have is what what are our values? What are we really trying to display? And then model those behaviors that align with that. And and that's actually a, a really smart point that if we're in an organization, it's easy to have our values and we put them on a poster and put them on the wall. It's better to live those values. And if we're sending those signals and modeling those behaviors, it's like, yo, this is what we value. It's on the wall. Great. But we're living it and acting it out. That's going to have a more profound impact on the environment. I'm glad you brought that up because it's good to, we kind of got in the weeds there, but like, let's look at the big benefits of this. That is absolutely one. We're living and acting out our values, which means the people around us are more likely to act them out, which is helping the environment. I think the other big, big win here or big upside of modeling is it's going to build that psychological safety. If I'm putting these actions on display, it's now safer for the people around me to do the same. Now, the other unexpected one is this helps me become a more empathetic leader. The other really big part with modeling is it forces you to go through the process of what you're asking of those around you. And so you have to appreciate the process and you have to appreciate the trials and tribulations. So, you know, you talk a lot about growth mindset. Um, If you have recently put yourself in a situation where you had to work at something you're not naturally good at, 
You know that wasn't a fun experience. You know growth mindset isn't enjoyable all the time. You know that was a pain in the butt. You know you had a, a pissed off, frustrated, depressed, um, low motivation moments. And so when those around you have them, I think you're better equipped to coach them. You're better equipped to give good advice, not kind of cliche advice, and really get in them, get, get in those moments with them and sit with the discomfort because you know what that's like. You've been modeling it. And this is this is also feedback we've gotten from other groups that have tried the anti-talent show. Like some of the teachers are like, oh, it reminded me that like learning is kind of scary. Like learning a new skill is scary. And that helped that teacher connect with their students even better. Sometimes like to be honest with you, I avoid using the word leadership because when we hear it, we assume like, oh, that means this is only relevant to the ver person at the very, very top. I think as far as learning environments are concerned, from our conversations with Amy Emmonson, Daniel Coyle, we see that every member of the group can affect the environment, which means every member of the group can become a model for the people around them. And I think Cece did a good job of explaining this. I think within team dynamics, part of what oftentimes goes unrealized is that every single person is an influencer off of those around them. And so particularly in team dynamics, even if you're the new kid on the team, or the low man on the totem pole, you're modeling um, and you're giving people uh, a right to follow your behavior or um, to be part of your behavior. Um, every person, particularly if you say the word team, you guys are all trying to pull on one rope. I think that one of the biggest learnings from making the second season of this podcast is that all of these ideas are intertwined. Like everything informs another thing that we're learning about. This is the perfect example of this. It's we established it in, I think one of our most interesting episodes, maybe most useful is that psychological safety is sort of like the soil for all learning to occur within a group. And I think this is a fantastic tool to help build safety. There are many more, but this is like a very important one. And the cool thing is, it's not a difficult application. It's just like, hey, I kind of need to hold myself accountable and be willing to model these behaviors that I want to see my people do more of. Okay, we've just, we had two people interviewed. We're, we've gotten to the weeds. We've given a lot of examples, but let's just do kind of a zoom out. Alex recap. What are the key bullet points here? Modeling affects our environment, and every action that we take is technically modeling. So once we understand that, our goal should be to be more intentional about what we're modeling. And and of course, like every topic, there's no blueprint to this. Treat it as a skill, but I would kind of call back to hunger to grow, willingness to struggle, try new stuff, and owning our mistakes and how we deal with adversity. Like, there's so many things underneath each one of those categories, but those are kind of the bangers that we want to focus on. We'd just like to give a huge thank you to Karch and Cece for the fantastic interviews. We love learning from people like them. Uh, Cece actually has a really cool project going on right now. You can check it out at theallterrainproject.com. Uh, her blog and videos that she posts are also fantastic. Thank you, Cece. Thank you, Karch. And thank you guys for listening and learning with us. We're having so much fun with this project. We'll see you next week.